welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. There's this new thing I'm doing on YouTube called 59 Second Friday. So if you're into video and you're up for some tips in under a minute on marketing, design, and career advice, I would appreciate it if you check it out. YouTube.com slash Josh Miles. Make sure and hit subscribe and comment on the most recent episode to let me know what you think. Today on Obsessed with Design, I'm chatting with senior designer at ESPN. Na, na, na. No, no, no. His name is Titus Smith. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Titus Smith. Okay, kids, today on Obsessed with Design, I'm chatting with Titus Smith all the way from Hartford, Connecticut. I met Titus recently on the Twitter, and he lists of his many skills, design, illustration, animation, layout, logos, posters, album artwork, website, drawings, kazoo, collaboration, consultation, speaking, preaching, eating, pooping, and Spotify genius. Those last three. Wow. Just Titus, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you, Josh. I really don't remember ever writing that, but I'll take your word for it because it sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> I think that might've been either off of your dribble profile or on your website, but, but either way, shoot, I'll put that I'll on LinkedIn. That's some good stuff. Yeah. That's some good stuff. That should definitely be uh, a LinkedIn or a status update or, or whatnot. Right on. Well, speaking, speaking of LinkedIn, after a little LinkedIn stalking, I was very curious about your origin story and, you know, I always enjoy learning about those. So maybe you could start us off there and let us know how you found yourself into the design industry and all the way ultimately at ESPN. Yeah, sure. Um, it's not really a, a very straight path. Uh, there's a lot of random twists and turns, but I love design. I kind of got into it randomly. When I got out of college, I had a history degree. I didn't have really any clue what to do with that other than I just you know, enjoyed history. I had been working at the college radio station and got into music. Mm. I thought about maybe trying to manage a band or being a tour manager, something like that, something close to the sound itself without actually being on stage. And um, I had a lot of friends. I made a lot of connections through that radio gig and eventually landed some internships. So before I graduated, I ended up in Nashville working at uh, a couple of really cool record labels and management groups. And while I was there, just decided that this is it, you know, like the music industry is where I want to be and didn't know what to do or how to do it, but decided that I would put everything I had in that basket and uh, chased after that, you know, new dream of mine and ended up working at a, a really cool spot, a booking agency on Music Row. I had like a desk and a really nice office and we had these, you know, celebrities walking past your room like all the time and you felt like, you know, you'd made it even if you weren't making a lot of money or doing, you know, anything that really made sense. But I was not a very good booking agent. I found out pretty quickly. You've got to be a really good salesperson. You got to be good on the phone. And that's just a, a struggle for me. So I ended up mm. designing a lot, just kind of in my free time. And my boss was a very gracious person, a good mentor. And he didn't say, hey, you know, you're not very good at this. You're fired. He said, hey, you're not very good at this, but what what can you do for us? Because he valued at least my presence in the office. And that was was really cool. So I had let him know, you know, like through those internships randomly, I had gotten a copy of Photoshop and I was working on, uh, you know, web ads and some really cool things like merchandise wise, posters, album artwork even for short runs or small EPs. And 
I did some really cool t-shirt designs and some poster work and, and became obsessed with like going to gigposters.com every day and mm-hmm. studying that stuff and, you know, emulating my heroes like aesthetic apparatus and Tad Carpenter and Micah Smith and, and Dan Styles and, and I would totally rip their work and, and pass it <laughs> off kind of not, not as my own or I would never get paid for that work, but I, I learned how to use the tools that way Yeah, and became pretty proficient in faking it until I made it, you know, and the, the guys there were in love with the idea of packaging a, a booking gig with merchandise. So we would have clients call us up from all over the country and say, hey, we want to book some shows in this upcoming summer. Can you give us, you know, half a dozen gigs or something over the course of a month? And we would say yes. And by the way, we know that you need some, you know, booking materials for these things. Like, so what about some gig posters? What about some shirts or some mm-hmm web ads or something. And and most of those people were happy to get that kind of support and maybe pay just a little bit extra. So that was my selling point. That was like what I brought to the table and it wasn't very good. It wasn't something that <laughs> we probably should have advertised as far as like what, you know, we could do as a, as a unit, but it worked out really well. So I did that for about a year and it was great. Um, I love that job. I love living in Nashville. My wife and I didn't see each other very much. Uh, we were newlyweds out of college. She was working nights at a hospital and I was working days and then mm-hmm. going on the road sometimes or, or going to shows and, and we never saw each other. And we realized after doing that for about a year, like we needed to stop. And so I did what any normal person would do, I guess. And I totally switched career paths and looked for something different. I ended mm-hmm. up doing youth ministry in Memphis uh, for a church that I happen to know a few people that were uh, members there that that had some sort of affiliation with with Woodland Hills in Memphis. And I ended up going there and doing youth ministry for four years. And I was really passionate about that. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, history major with no real experience getting paid under the table <laughs> as like a fake booking agent for a year. But it was really cool. It was a, it was a growing process. I learned uh, again, like just because no one else knew how to do it, like a little bit about web design for the church website and a little bit about um, marketing materials, you know, because we would print out things and send it out to the community. And I had a lot of free time on my hand because the uh, youth group was always, you know, super busy during the summer and during the winter months or school months, it was really slow. So during that time, I would go to my office and crank out some, you know, like Bible class material and mm-hmm. then design some stuff. And uh, again, learning the tools, getting more familiar with things like InDesign or things like sketch just because I, I had the opportunity to and use those tools to my advantage. Eventually started getting some freelance gigs. And after maybe about three years of youth ministry, I got burnt out. I knew that I wasn't going to last very much longer. So I started looking for jobs, banging on every virtual door that I could find. Uh, ended up with maybe a hundred different applications. Maybe out of those, I heard back from half out of those. Maybe I got the second round of interviews and out of, out of, out of that half, maybe I got another half round of interviews and then maybe like 10 either offers or like, you know, you, you made it really close, but, but you're not going to be mm-hmm. our guy. Yeah. And finally, randomly on, I think dribble, I saw someone saying like he, ESPN is hiring product designers and I didn't know what product designers did, but, uh, applied for that job. And somehow through the, the random connections that we had, was asked to come visit campus and interviewed for this job, which I actually did not get. And so through all of this process, decided to leave Memphis and my wife and I sold almost everything we had, our house, 
jumped in a car and she decided to do travel nursing and I was just going to freelance on the road because I was making not great money, but decent money doing that and figured we could sustain, you know, hotel lifestyles with one car and a dog and the two of us, you know, just kind of living it up. And then, so we got to pause there for just a second. You got to, I mean, I'm not familiar with this. You got to tell our listeners what travel nursing is about. Oh man. So travel nursing uh, is an awesome opportunity. And I feel like uh, a recruiter now for like a big nursing company or something. But my wife <laughs> uh, heard about this in college and she told me about this when we were dating. And I was like, oh, we should do that someday. That sounds great. But you essentially get hired to go to a hospital where there are not a lot of nurses or where um, they just have way too many patients or or a low staff, something like that. And you go in and you just support them for a period of time and you sign on with a contract uh, for like, I don't know, a month, two months, three months, half a year, things like that. And you just get to bounce around as you please mm. throughout the United States. And your first job usually isn't the best one because they want people with experience that are devoted to like this lifestyle. Yeah. So our first uh, placement, my wife got into a program and they wanted her in uh, Dallas. And so in the, I think it was like the beginning of June, we landed in Dallas with just me and her and our dog, like one car and we were in this extended stay America with cockroaches and, and <laughs> drug deals going on in the parking lot and stuff. And it was hot, man. Like, yeah. don't move to Dallas in June, right? Yeah, that's probably the, the wrong months to introduce yourself to Dallas weather. Oh, man, it was the worst. Uh, and I was really excited to go to Texas just to be out of Tennessee and try something different uh, for a time. And after being there for just a few weeks, I got a call back from ESPN and they're like, hey, that job you did not get. We're really sorry. That just kind of got lost in the shuffle. But there was another job opening up and we think you'd be a good fit for that. And I went through the interview process again and they offered me a job. So I did again what any normal uh, great man would do. And I ran away and left my wife in Texas. And uh, she, <laughs> With the cockroaches and everything. Yeah. Like she, she was an awesome trooper about it. Super supportive, decided that, you know, this is a, a great opportunity for me. And she just kind of graciously said, let's go, let's do it. So she wrapped up her contract in Dallas and I moved up here and found an apartment that kind of stuff got settled in. And then she joined me after another month or so of wrapping up her, her contract, but uh, landed up here and in, in sunny Bristol, Connecticut, where campus is. And I've been here for almost three years, I guess in a couple months. Yeah. I guess just a month now it'll be three years. So man, it's been, it's, like I said, it's kind of a, a crazy path to where I'm at, but I, I think I landed the, you know, the best job I could have with the amount of experience and education that I had for, for the time, you know? Man. Yeah. That seems like an incredible arc if nothing else. And of, of course a cool place to land. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like maybe recently it's kind of become cool to be a creative or a designer and not really be a sports guy. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that like a requirement at ESPN that they want to know no. that you're really into sports or how, what, what did that part of the interview look like? So I, I remember coming up here and asking everyone when I interviewed, you know, you, you, I went through maybe five or six different people that I had to sit down with during that, that process and asking all of them, like, are you totally over sports now? Like, do you not watch ESPN at home anymore? Mm -hmm. And some of them said, yeah. And some of them said like, no way we still have it on all the time because I, you know, as an adult, that's all I would ever watch. Uh, you turn on <laughs> sports center and you know that it's going to repeat at the end of the day, but you still watch it anyway because you want to see the top 10 again. Right. So I was as familiar with ESPN as probably the, the normal guy or girl where you watch sports center sometimes during the day, maybe first take or around the horn or 
or something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you check the app on your phone to see what the scores are. And I was afraid of, of not wanting to be around that anymore, right? Becoming jaded. So I was really pleased to find out that a lot of the people here are huge sport f- sports fans, just like me, and just as many probably aren't. And there's a really good balance, I think, of people who are interested in sports, devoted in sports, passionate about sports, and likewise, people are who are devoted to journalism or design mm-hmm. or creativity in general and problem solving, the things that I think make a really good intersection for a designer at ESPN. I think they have a lot wrapped around their brand of, you know, where the athletes are just walking around the halls at ESPN or that the, the mascots are there doing work. So I think they've, they've at least done a great job of baking into the brand that everybody there is just a true fanatic yeah. for, for some team or another. Absolutely. Eat, breathe, drink sports. If you want, you know, if not, it's just part of the day job. It's just part of your life. And those commercials, by the way, are shot all the time around campus. And sometimes you wonder like, am I going to be seen? Like, was I, was I just in the shot? Are they going to see me <laughs> on the, on the next one? Right. It's very accurate to uh, kind of what life is like around here. You'll see random stuff happening out of the corner of your eye and just be like, Oh, another day at work. This is sports <laughs> center. Just ESPN. Yeah. What sports are you into? Uh, I am a big Kansas Jayhawk fan. So college basketball is kind of the only way I can, you know, cherish that fandom because we're pretty terrible at everything else. And I, I enjoy the NBA a lot. I think basketball is probably my jam more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy being here and catching in, like catching on to really strange fringe sports that otherwise I would have never seen before. It, it's kind of like the Ocho would would share, you know, like table tennis where guys use volleyballs in their heads, like weird stuff like that is always really fun. And then you get into it for a day and you cheer for some team and you want them to win so bad. And then it's over and you're like, all right, that was fun. You know, I'll never see that again. It's just whatever. So I think it's like ESPN is such an interesting combination of it's a media company and it's, it's really kind of an, an icon, like a very American icon that, that it's this very, sports centric culture. I I can imagine, you know, it's also an, an enterprise, like it's, <laughs> it's a big business. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective after three years there, like what's the coolest thing or maybe the most unexpected thing about working at a company like ESPN? I hate to, I hate to be a homer and just brag about where I work, especially because I've been freelance and I understand kind of the struggles of the day to day, whether or not you're going to get a new client uh, or if you're going to, you know, even make enough money to do all the things that you want to do, you know, in a a given amount of time. But uh, man, like in-house design life suits me well. Mm -hmm. So I am not ashamed at all to, to encourage people to check that out if they ever get the opportunity. ESPN is owned by Disney and not a lot of people remember that. But one of the cool things about that is I'm technically a Disney cast member. So I get to go to Walt Disney World and I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. paying a huge amount of, you know, my income to actually get to go and go to the park. I went <laughs> with my wife for the first time both of us had never been before, but since we had a couple of free passes, went and experienced it for the first time in our late 20s and that was it was pretty fun to, you know, actually get to do that and think about how badly I wanted to do that as a child. So mm-hmm. the mouse is really great. Working for him is is all right. I think just getting to know people who are, I don't know, how do I put this? I guess we are a very diverse group. One of the things that ESPN can boast more than 
most companies is the amount of diversity that it has. For example, on the design team that I work on on a daily basis, we have maybe, I don't know, four or five different ethnicities on the team, I'm going to guess. And we have people from all over the country, other countries. We have uh, more girls than guys. There's a lot of really cool diversity that I value at ESPN, uh, specifically towards the design team. There's there's a lot of really cool fringe benefits, you know, like going to Disney World and not having to pay a whole lot or getting to go to, you know, some sort of Disney excursion if you want to. Um, but the day to day type stuff that I really enjoy have to do with, I think, the people that I'm around. And it's not just like the famous people you get to see walking down the street or or walking into the gym or something like that. I bumped into Trey Wingo one time and he kind of yelled at me and it was this awkward <laughs> moment, but then he smiled real big. And I was like, you know what? He's an all right guy. And I, <laughs> I like, I don't think we would ever be friends, but that's just kind of the cool interaction that you get to have on, on the day to day. Well, what is that day to day for you as senior designer? You know, how much of your time are you actually like heads down designing or collaborating with other people on your team or like, you know, in meetings or doing email, like what, what's that mix look like for you? So lately it's picked up in pace a lot and that's because of the new app that's out. So we launched ESPN plus and incorporated that into the new app and we've been kind of on high demand lately. So the senior designers and, and designers lower than that, just uh, all kind of team up and buckle down and heads down, get a lot of work done on the, on the daily. And that hasn't always been the case. Uh, we've had the luxury uh, during different sports seasons to work on larger projects. So, for example, we're um, getting ready for some really cool stuff to do with the NFL. And one of my big projects right now is working on our NFL rank project. So mm -hmm. we're going to launch that in August. And one of the things that I have to do is, for example, a, a day to day on that project would be coming into the office checking emails and working out meetings and schedules with other departments that are also working on this project, whether it's uh, our developers who are going to be actually making this page work and operate or the photo team, which are a group of awesome guys and girls, super essential to projects like this that highlight, you know, the latest photos that we can get of, I don't know, like uh, a rookie that was drafted by the Rams and he hasn't been seen in a Rams uniform yet. So we need to make sure that we find that photo today because this is the last day we're going to be able to do anything to it and treat it and illustrate it and throw it in the, the actual page. So there's a lot of project management that way, a lot of strategy involved. If we have time, we might get to work on some not personal projects, but kind of more passion projects that we really value. Things like I worked on this really cool New York Yankees lineup uh, project just uh, a few months ago with uh, an awesome illustrator named Matthew Hollister. And uh, the crux of it is you try to strike out Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Giancarlo Stanton. And that is a super cool animated illustrated project with a lot of math involved, but it's uh, super fun to play. And it's one of those types of games that you walk away from and you remember it because of how well it was illustrated or how different it was versus the regular like um, story or article stuff that we crank out, which are all really cool things too. But the, the more fun elements, you know, you might get to sneak in there every once in a while. Maybe you get to spend one or two hours on those at the same time as you're working on kind of our bigger marquee projects like NFL rank. Um, we're touching a bunch of different sports. So we have regular meetings with different sports editing groups and they make sure that the design team knows about what they want to do versus what they want to do with larger projects versus maybe 
more story page items, which um, are just as valid, get probably more page views, but are simple, flat graphics that we'll crank out like data viz or photo illustration, animation, stuff that we can crank out a lot faster. So it really is a lot of project management, um, which I never expected to be into at all. But I kind of like that problem solving aspect of it where you get to decide in the morning, how hard should I work on this today? Because I want to do the fun <laughs> stuff later, but man, like I, I know I need to get this stuff done. It's a, uh, it's a really good time right now for the company as far as bigger projects and kind of looking to the future. Well, maybe speaking of passion projects, you had told me a little bit about one that maybe some people know you for, and maybe some know the project, but not that you're behind it. So tell us a little bit about what permanent records is about. Sure. So um, my buddy Seth Gale and I connected maybe three years ago, right before I started at ESPN and just let each other know that we uh, had always uh, kind of been touch and go on Twitter, good friends in that virtual sense, but decided, you know, we'd like to work together and do something. And it didn't matter what it was, but we collaborated, decided if we could do anything, what would it be? And it would be to work with a huge group of people that we respected and, and wanted to emulate and so we reached out to some of our friends and some of the people that we wanted to be friends with and, and kind of pitched this idea where we would design tattoos based on song lyrics. It kind of, you know, mm-hmm. merges these two worlds that I'm really into. Uh, I love tattoos. I've got a lot of them. And music, again, decided early on that that's kind of the vein in which I wanted to run originally. And um, Seth is just as passionate about that stuff. So we got some of the most talented guys and girls that that we know either by reaching out to them randomly and hoping that they trusted us enough to become involved with this project or, you know, just friends that could do a solid for us really quick. And we got two different editions of that so far. The plan is to bring it back this year if we can and do a third round, but it's a lot of really fun tattoo designs. You've got guys and girls that I'm sure, you know, people that you've interviewed before, I'm sure. But some of my favorites like Elias Stein, eight hour dated one that was really good. Ali Smith, Nick Slater, Bob Ewing, Lauren Dickens, just a, a huge crew of talent washing through this awesome project. And hopefully we'll bring it back one more time. But if you want to follow it, shameless plug, it's Permanent Rex on uh, Instagram and Twitter, permanent underscore Rex. And you guys can follow along with us. We're up to like 2,500 followers right now, I think, on Instagram, which is fun because like we, we didn't expect it to grow past just kind of this small group of designers. And now we get people that are just into tattoos or just into music or bands that like the art that we've done for them. And, and that's, that's pretty rewarding and fulfilling, but mostly it's just to keep me and Seth busy. So we're proud of that. (laughs) Keeps you out of trouble. Exactly. Or in trouble or however that works. Yeah. You know, we'll just wait and see. Yeah. So in a maybe related story, maybe this is just totally random, but your, uh, your kind of bio in, in Skype, which is how we do these, uh, interviews most of the time, I think was a seal lyric. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I I saw that right before we jumped on again. I don't remember writing that, but I'll, (laughs) you know, I'll die on this hill, whatever. (laughs) Did you know that when it snows, that the light that you shine becomes what? I don't even know anymore. Something, like, something that makes no sense at all. Well, I, I'm pretty sure I had just watched that episode of Community where Jeff and the Dean like secretly sneak off and do karaoke together and they sing this song. And I was like, all right, this <laughs> this is my this is what I'm listening to today. All right. I don't know, man. Like I don't I don't remember 
I, I need to update all of my bios. That's what I'm getting out of this interview more than anything. <laughs> or that I'm I'm just a really good cyber stalker. I think that's, that's true. What, that's what the listeners should take away from this. You're like the design Nardwar. <laughs> so I'm I'm old enough that when I, I hear those lyrics, I think of the the terrible Batman movie that that Ooh. song was on the soundtrack for. Maybe yeah. Batman Forever or Batman. I don't know. I forget, but it was one of those bad ones with lots of celebrities, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah, man. So maybe outside of permanent wrecks, you know, when it comes to other freelance stuff or kind of in your past with freelance, how would you kind of discern what makes for a great client or how would you figure out kind of in advance if this was going to be a good, a good project to move forward with or not? I don't do as much freelance work anymore, but when I work on bigger projects, obviously I'm reaching out to freelancers, uh, people that do not just illustration, but animation work or dev work, uh, sometimes even photography. And I think that the thing I take away most now on the other side of that is that, uh, we've got to trust each other and Mm -hmm. it's better when you can build those relationships with somebody first. So I love to hire my friends and, and I'm not ashamed of that. I think it's really cool to say that, um, guys and girls that I have respected for a long time, are now not just like friends of mine or people that I wanted to emulate when I first got into design. Like all of that's really cool, but some of those are like uh, working for me or I am their client, right? Like that professional relationship is really cool and seeing them work in different ways other than when you just go to a conference and hang out or when you end up Skyping like this and, and catching up with each other, like seeing how they operate brings out this whole new level of respect. And it's really important to establish that kind of trust and faith and respect in not just client relationships, but just, you know, those typical professional relationships. You never know who you're going to work for someday. There's a ton of opportunities out there for everyone. And it's very possible that someday I'll be asking one of the people that I have hired for a a quick design job, like for a job. It's, Mm -hmm. It's very likely that that will happen someday. And so I love kind of the way that at ESPN, I can be validated a little bit and say, hey, this is a big project. I'm trusting you with this. Please make it into exactly what I know you can do with it. And whether I'm art directing them tightly or, or not at all, watching them work is is super fulfilling and, and it helps motivate me to kind of do better work myself. So I would say like trust and respect are really important as far as searching for a good client. And it's important also to know where you're hunting for clients because so many people reach out to me or a coworker and say, Hey, I, I've always wanted to work for Nike or, Hey, I, I've been doing this stuff for Adidas and I think it'd fit ESPN's brand really well. And the truth is just because sports or athletics kind of run in the same vein, they don't always overlap as much as people would think. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I'm not going to reach out to a child's book illustrator and say, Hey, will you do uh, an ESPN project for me? Because I know what the brand looks like. Likewise, they should know, you know, they might have a really cool pitch and say, you know, I'm, I'm a child's book illustrator and I thought this would be a really cool project for you or I thought this would be a really cool style for X, Y, or Z that I've seen on the site. And that's really cool too, but it's also important to just know exactly what type of client you're looking for so that when you put yourself out there, you're attracting the right people. So many artists and illustrators get on dribble and, and live or die by the amount of likes that they get. And they forget sometimes that those are all designers and illustrators too. Those aren't clients. So The things that you are trying to attract for your own business need to fit within, 
I guess the world that the client is going to live in, whether that's a creative world or not. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. You know, I think whether it's in-house or freelance or agency or whatever, you know, all of us have kind of hit rough spots from time to time where you just kind of get stuck or get sideways with a client. What are some of the ways that you found to kind of to work through those, those rough spots? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. Are you asking as a client or as a freelancer or as an in-house designer? I think whatever you feel like you have the most perspective on. So I think that one of the things I struggle with in-house is bringing my creative juices home with me. When you're a freelancer, you don't ever really turn it off. At least I Mm -hmm. couldn't. I would be sitting on the couch with my wife watching a show and she would be letting me, you know, work for a client or, or do some sort of fun drawing or something like that. Even if it wasn't for a client, I was trying to be creative 24 seven. And now when I come home at the end of the day, five, six, seven o'clock, I shut my computer off. I don't even have my work email (laughs) on my phone. And I walk away and if I want to get creative again, I think, man, I've got to go open up that computer and get on Illustrator. And if I do that, like I'm probably going to see email and I just don't want to mess with it. So it's been really great and difficult at the same time to Mm -hmm. try and do anything outside of work, which is really important because that helps you avoid burnout, kind of the negative energy or the frustration that you can get at, at work when you're doing things that you aren't super excited about or that seem like grunt work in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. you want to find a creative outlet. You want to turn that negativity into positivity. And the best way to do that as a designer, I think, is to find some sort of passion project or personal project and devote as much of that leftover uh, bent up energy as you can into it. And it's, it's hard. So that's one of the most difficult things that I found. Um, the way that I deal with it as an in-house designer is I will plan time throughout my day to get away from the office. I'll go outside. We have a really cool campus or I'll go to the calf where uh, it's loud. You can kind of get lost in um, the thick of how many people are you know, just having meetings or eating lunch. And you can dive into your computer and your, you know, your sketchbook or whatever your medium is and do something for yourself. And if it's on your lunch break, that's really cool. Or if it's, you know, on your way home, you stop off and maybe take a little break and know that you're going to spend 30 minutes today just sketching out or, or, um, you know, writing down ideas, things like that. It's really cool to find those opportunities for outlets. You mentioned a couple of, uh, designers previously that you admired and especially kind of early on that you were, you know, kind of emulating to practice and kind of hone your skills. Who would you count as your design heroes today? Man, I think, I think they're all illustrators. Uh, I love, I I will, I'll get a little sentimental for a second. The first, I think designs that I ever were drawn to when I got into design initially first had Photoshop decided I wanted to do this thing for real. Those designers, those illustrators were a couple of guys, Tad Carpenter for sure, and uh, Micah Smith. And mm-hmm. they turned out randomly, were both from Kansas, just very close to where I <laughs> grew up. Like, it's in the blood. Like, I, I was born in Lawrence. Like, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just nuts to me that these two guys that I wanted to be just like, I wanted my craft to be exactly like theirs. We were all like in the same place for, you know, 18 years or something like that and just didn't know each other. And I'm, significantly younger than both of those guys. Uh, I am now friends with those guys and 
I consider them in some ways mentors or uh, just, you know, the, the kind of visionaries that I want to emulate someday. So when I got to ESPN and I had my first uh, opportunity to art direct anybody, I pitched Micah to my creative director at the time. And I said, this guy has it, man. Like he's the one. And he uh, was kind enough to let me holler at him and work with him. And so it kind of came full circle. And I, I got kind of kind of mushy with Micah when that happened. I was like, man, I'm so excited. I was, I was a huge fanboy <laughs> and probably made him feel super uncomfortable. Probably what I'm doing right now. And he was really gracious and made me feel like I was a friend of his instead of just, you know, some random kid that uh, looked up to him. Uh, that's, that's the awesome. beauty of the internet, right? Like we can want to be like people that we would never otherwise meet or, or see their work otherwise. Or, you know, talk to them on a podcast, <laughs> which is what I get to do, which is so awesome. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great answer. I think a lot of people listening might say, wow, Titus, Titus has my dream, my dream job or gets to do dream projects every day. But you know, I'm sure you have a little different perspective and, uh, I'm curious what maybe a dream project is for you that you hope to get to do in the near future. Man, dream projects. I remember telling my wife when I decided that I was going to go freelance uh, full time before I even thought about working in house anywhere that working at ESPN mm. would be a dream gig. And I didn't understand the scope of what in-house work would be like. I remember telling her, she would ask, you know, who would you work for? Like, how does this freelance thing work? And I would describe to her, you know, clients just like GQ or, or ESPN, the magazine or, or wired something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to do spot illustration and now I've got spot illustrations in ESPN, the mag. And that is just one of the coolest accomplishments. It's really awesome to think about coming from that moment. I remember vividly in our living room in Memphis to now where I am totally over the honeymoon phase and kind of think it's no big deal to be here anymore. And I'm kind of spoiled, but that was for sure. One of those, one of those dream client moments nowadays, it's a lot more things that I want to do for myself. Um, I would love to learn how to design a font lately. I've been checking out artists and illustrators that do custom fonts or that have cranked out entire typefaces based off of something they've seen, you know, in a cemetery or, on a, on the back of an old box or something like that. And that stuff blows my mind because I didn't go to design school and I constantly need validated. Our best art directors in the department are certainly sick of me walking over to them and asking them like, Hey, can you tell me what like, uh, this term is again? It's like, Oh, the X height or, you know, that's letting, <laughs> right. uh, you need to work on your kerning Titus. I don't like, I don't remember what that stuff is. I don't understand it. Yeah. Which one is that? Which way does that go? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it's not up and down. It's left to right. Yes. Yes. I just work on that. So I think a dream project maybe would be to fully understand first and then design my own typeface um, and give that away. Just kind of as something to uh, aspire to, you know, to, to let other people know that you can do this too. Right. Like, I think yeah. it'd be really cool for other people to, to see that you don't need that formal education. You can pick this stuff up as you go. What's one of your proudest professional moments so far? Man, it's a toss up. I think my proudest moment as a designer, I think is when I got to write something for the first time, I had this really crazy idea that you could predict who is going to be the NBA's most valuable player based off of the past winners. So let's say that they need to have certain statistics at a, you know, there's a, a threshold that they have to meet 
They have to have been an all-star within the past two years. They have to have been drafted in the top 15 when they were a rookie. And I made this long list and I pitched it to our NBA guys and they loved it. And they sent it over to Tom Haberstroh, who was writing for us at the time. And he hollered back at me with this awesome quote that was like, I can always tell that I like an idea when I wish that I had thought of it myself. Oh, nice. And I thought, man, that's so cool. Like one of my favorite writers is, is paying me this compliment. And so we got to tag team that together and shared a byline. And we predicted for the 2018 NBA season that Kawhi Leonard was going to win the <laughs> MVP. And Kawhi played like maybe 12 games this season. Like it was, <laughs> I fell flat on my face. The way that I designed the page, not just like the actual imagery with uh, the photo illustrations, but I I laid out how it was going to work. I got a dev to build this awesome scrolly telling experience. Mm. And I was just so pumped about how the entire thing was going to work. And it was a disaster. Like it didn't work the way it was supposed to on the phone. <laughs> and people from our product team were hollering at my creative director and telling her like, this is awful. You need to never do this kind of thing again. And, you know, <laughs> all of this failure, I promise, like uh, it, it was hard and it's it's very difficult to get over some of that kind of stuff. But yeah. The idea that someone else can kind of have your back and say, that's a really good idea. Or that my creative director can say, like, I'm not going to tell him this is awful. Like, you guys need to just quit complaining and run the piece. You know, this is his first project and there's going to be more if we give him the chance. And and having people believe in you is really strong and validating. But it's, I know it's so silly that all of that failure can add up to it. But that was that was for me a really proud moment for sure. You know, maybe I could guess that your uh, your answer to this is either the NBA or tattoos or maybe SEAL, but uh, <laughs> I find that all the designers that I chat with on the show are are typically obsessed with, let's call it many things, but what do you think that you are most obsessed with right now? I think right now I'm most obsessed with the idea that there are freelance designers out there clueless as to how to get a start. And one of the things that I've been doing lately with one of my coworkers is we've been doing a, a quick, small DIY podcast ourselves. And it's, it's not that great. Like we know it's not that great, but we're very <laughs> proud of that. And, uh, it's called design mixtape. And so we, we crank out one of those like totally irregularly, like one every three weeks or something, whenever we have time, because <laughs> uh, we're so busy right now. But we try to appeal to freelance designers and talk to guys and girls that feel like they don't have a voice or feel like they can't find their rhythm or they don't know what their style is going to be like. Um, I've been writing a lot lately, not just about Kawhi Leonard and what would have been if he hadn't have been injured. <laughs> but um, I've been writing from the point of view of an in-house designer who wants to work with a freelancer because I've been on both sides and I understand as a freelancer how frustrating it is or how um, badly you want something and just feel like you're never going to get it. So those dream projects, those dream clients, those opportunities that you're looking for as a freelancer, I'm, I'm totally obsessed with that stuff right now. And I want to be a service. I want to help other people do that and accomplish some of those same goals that I got to. So I've been writing a lot, um, pandering to that sort of audience. And I really hope that I'm breaking through. So every single time I talk to somebody about you know, um, what it takes to get an art director's eye or how to land that client. I get really passionate about it. And I, I talk way too long and way too much about what they need to do differently or the things that I did that I know work. And that kind of stuff to me right now is all I can, all I can do 
when I need a creative outlet is write or podcast or assist somebody that is looking for that sort of um, mentorship or, or guidance that I always wish I had. That's awesome. Well, we will absolutely link to your podcast in the show notes. So in addition to all of the other things, seal, seal, <laughs> there, there's so many things to link to right now that I, I may be running out of show notes space. It's too long, too long, Josh. I should have cut it down. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like in addition to obsessions, like most designers are kind of either blessed or ruined in that, like you said, with freelance, like you just, it was just always on. And I think we tend to see the world around us differently than, than, you know, mere mortals. Sure. And, and for many of us, it's either like it drives you crazy or it's something that just bugs you or something that sticks out. But is, is there like a, a trend or a thing that's been going on for a while that, that just stands out to you as something that just, just bugs you or drives you nuts or gets you really excited when you see it? Oh man. Um, I think, I think it's really important for designers, especially illustrators that are new to the game or, or just now getting into it. Like I said earlier, I alluded to the idea that I would take gigposters.com references and totally honestly like trace that stuff. Right. I would, I would emulate those things frame for frame so that I knew how to use the tools, but I would bury that stuff. I wouldn't put that out there as something that I could build for you. I wouldn't want to make the same exact poster for somebody else, but I kept a folder. I remember of all of these different types of illustrations or like remembering methods for how to make uh, you know, a rounded edge or something like that before those plugins came to be as useful as they are now. And all of that stuff was so instrumental in me being able to illustrate for myself or for a client originally someday. And I wish that more illustrators would hide some of that derivative junk, at least, you know, admitting that I was, you know, copying some of that stuff. I didn't pass it off as my own. And sometimes I think people forget to do that. Um, There's a lot of really great artists online that look too much like the people that came before them. Mm-hmm. And that that bothers me so much because I'm going to hire the guy that came before you or the girl that came before you, right? I, I want to get the good stuff. I don't want something derivative. I don't want something that I think looks like a poor person's version of, I don't know, Double Knot or Aaron Draplin. I want the real deal. So if you want to emulate those people, that's great. If you want to learn how to use the tools like they do, that's great. But don't make that your own, like, like find a way to steal like an artist, you know, like Austin Mm -hmm. Cleon says, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. And it's really one of the more important aspects of being a designer to figure out ways to pass that kind of stuff off as your own. I, I think that bothers me as far as trends go. It's something that you see a lot online and I wish it would go away, but it probably never will. So I feel like you have done almost nothing but drop great advice on our listeners this whole show. So if if you're tapped out, you can let me know. But um, I'm curious what is either maybe your favorite piece of advice to pass along to your team and new designers who join up over at ESPN, or maybe one of your most favorite pieces of advice that you've received in the past. So my favorite piece of advice is not the best advice, but I'll name drop again. Clark or one time I heard give a talk and Clark and I are acquaintances. Every time we see each other at a conference, 
he remembers who I am and we catch up for a minute and, uh, and everything's all good. But he gave, I think like the first design talk I ever saw in person at, uh, creative works in Memphis. And I remember vividly Clark getting up there and showing off a lot of the posters that he collected as a young guy, or maybe his dad had given to him. And he said something that has always stuck with me. And, and I'll paraphrase. He said that he would never, he promised to never let himself feel bad for collecting a piece of art that inspired him. And I think that that's really important because as designers, I know sometimes the money's not there. It's really important to surround yourself with uh, physical products, with digital product products, with the types of people um, that inspire you. And one of the coolest things about that piece of advice is like, there are going to be times when you look at something and you go like, man, that's really frivolous. I don't need that. But, you know, it is inspiring. Like, I can justify that, right? Like, that's a tax write-off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's really cool to me, the idea that we don't have to feel guilty about being proud of what we surround ourselves with. And and if we surround ourselves with things that make us proud, I think it'll make us better designers. Again, not to be derivative, but to find something, some sort of kernel of inspiration within all the cool things and make make something that you otherwise wouldn't have made. That is really interesting. I like that. I like that advice a lot. I'm scared to death that Clark's going to come out of the woodwork and be like, I never said that. What are you talking about? Like, save your money, kids. Uh, I'll, I'll bother him about that after this. <laughs> That's awesome. So maybe last question before I wrap up here. Outside of looking at other people's work and other kinds of creative, or maybe that can be your answer. I think that's fine. I shouldn't limit your answer. But where do you go for inspiration? Like, where do you go to kind of refresh and to to knock out the cobwebs and start something new? I spend a lot of time um, on Dribble every single day. Um, I think Dribble is a great tool. I know that it can be frustrating because it has changed a lot. And uh, I think we all who are older members of Dribble remember what it was like when it was smaller and you got really good design advice on there, but there's still really awesome work on there. Uh, and people are cranking out some of the coolest illustration uh, or even like UX animation now that I, I rely on a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good source digitally. Um, I found myself recently looking in places that I have never been before. Like I think it's really cool as you get older to um, soak up some more history or to look at things from a different angle. Me and a few buddies went to um, Creative South uh, a couple months ago. And while we oh, were yeah. there, decided to pack up afterwards and like hang out in a cabin for a few days just for fun. And while we were doing that, we would go to like these old timey uh, random antique stores in Alabama. And we went to a like a, I think a veterans memorial. And while we were there, we noticed like, man, this like old, you know, helicopter that they have on display has like a really cool design on the side of it. You know, I guess, uh, looking in places that you otherwise wouldn't go is really fun. Um, the types of stuff that you don't expect to see is the type of stuff that always seems to impress you the most, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Titus, it's been a blast talking to you this evening and, uh, looking forward to checking out your podcast too. I didn't even know about this before, so I'm going to have to dig in and start listening to all of that stuff. But before we head out, be sure and tell our listeners where all they can find you on the interwebs where they can, you know, connect with you and see more of your work. 
Yeah, I'd love to connect with anybody that wants to hit me up and ask me about uh, more work stuff or just kind of laugh at me for bringing up a podcast on a podcast. Uh, I'm Titus <laughs> Smith, uh, all one word, one S on Instagram, Twitter. I'm not on Facebook anymore, so the government can't find me. Uh, but uh, I uh, have a website too, TitusSmith.com, two S's in that one, just my full name. So uh, hit me up. Excellent. Well, Titus, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's show number 106 officially in the books. Don't forget to check out the new 59 Second Friday videos on YouTube. And I would definitely appreciate it if you would subscribe. It's at youtube.com slash Josh Miles. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already, while you're there, add your email address in for our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some of the cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Also, we've added links on the show website to all the places you can find the show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed with Design from there. Just head over to ObsessedShow.com to find those links. And over at iTunes, if you are not already subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. Also, we'd love to have a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. And our show is edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.